Hola, amiga. I believe the only way to create a life of your dreams is by taking massive action that makes shit happen. Basically, amiga, handle your shit. Yes, I said that. Handle your shit. Stop playing small and start breaking down cultural limitations, gain back your feminine power, and become the unapologetic and unstoppable Latina you were destined to be. This show is meant to inspire, motivate, and awaken your soul's potential. You will learn from business professionals, successful entrepreneurs, and creatives that will teach you mental corrections, insider tips, success strategies, and of course, a dose of personal development. I am your host, Jackie Tapia, lawyer, transformational life coach, and entrepreneur. I am also a wife and mom to a little badass Latina. I'm obsessed with changing the Latina's mindset and breaking down cultural barriers so that you can live your best life and step into your true power and start living a life of abundance in all ways and always. Join me for inspiring conversations with thought leaders and learn how to handle your shit. ¿Estás lista? Vámonos. Hello, 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 amigas, and welcome to Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. I have a beautiful soul. Her name is Marisa Alma Nick, and she is the author of Rebel in Venus, which is a semi-autobiographical, honest story of redemption and intimate portrait of friendship, the impact of trauma, the power of our first love and loss. It's the coming of age story. It's about a woman who is realizing she can no longer outrun herself. Marissa never had any major plans to become an author, but after an injury put her dance career on hold, the tragic news about the death of a close friend, as well as the start of the pandemic in 2020, writing became a lifeline for her. A startlingly headline in the Washington Post outlining the how teen girls are at an increased risk of suicide today also became a catalyst for Marissa to incorporate teen mental health into the story. Marissa says, I know depression, I know shame and abuse. I think there's still a great deal of shame around mental health. I just wanted to contribute to the growing culture around creating awareness for mental health. This is really important to me. My hope is that this book might save one life aside from my own. That's a big ask, but I hope this book helps them see themselves as the hero and not a burden. So amigas, this conversation is very profound and very impactful. And we do talk about conversations that you know, I think we need to be mindful. If you're listening to this podcast alone, awesome. If you're listening to this podcast with adults, awesome. But if you have a child in your car and you're, you're taking them to school or to that summer camp, I suggest that you may put this podcast episode for a later time. We do go knee deep into this conversation in her book, and it's about, you know, a lot of sexual trauma and abuse. And so it's better left for adults. So without further ado, this is Marissa Alma Nick, 
and her book is called Rebel in Venus. And you need to make sure you go out and buy it. And it's in the show notes. All you have to do is just go into the notes and uh, click away and purchase your book. So without further ado, like I said, this is Marissa Alma Nick. Thank you so much for having me and for having this podcast. I'm really, I'm excited to get into it. (laughs) Awesome. I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay. So before we dive into the book, I really wanted to have a conversation about your upbringing because I always feel that the upbringing leads into who we are today. So tell us here on Amiga Handle Your Shit, where are you from, your family background, all those amazing things. Yeah, I'm a Miami girl through and through. I grew up here. My father's Cuban. He went, he moved from Cuba to Miami. He migrated, immigrated, ran actually from Cuba to Miami in like 59. And then my mom is a white woman from Florida. And actually they met in Atlanta. So, you know, things are meant to be right. But I grew up in the beach in Miami beach and I think like how you said it influences where we are just that in itself. Growing up in Miami, for me in the 90s and early 2000s, you know, like one of my first icon heroes was like Daisy Fuentes on MTV. (laughs) That's She's like, yeah, like the Miami Cuban girl and like Daisy Dukes and Miami culture. Like, and you even see even in movies like in the birdcage, like growing up here, I remember seeing everybody rollerblading in bikinis, whether you are a man or a woman, Um, this like beautiful blend also from the Caribbean, this like hypersexual expression growing up in that. And also for me, not in a household that didn't actually, and I'm so like grateful for this, didn't teach shame. I had friends who changed into their short shorts on the school bus, (laughs) but I was able to walk out the door, you know, and not feel ashamed at the same time. Like It's so interesting growing up in Miami because you become, I think, also a woman very fast because it is the city. It's the beach, especially where I grew up on the beach. And I think that does like make a big presence in the book. I also feel like Miami is another character (laughs) in the book itself. So that's where I and I'm back in Miami now. I actually lived in L.A. for a little bit. Dance took me around and I, I ended up back in Miami about 10 years ago. So I've been, I've been back here since. Yeah. So you talked about dance. And so I want to get into that as well. So tell me, how did that start with for you? Yes. When I was three, my mom put me in dance class and I liked it a lot. <laughs> it was a very like simple thing for me. I kind of, explore, without jumping around, and I really liked the idea of controlling my knowing what it meant to have control over my body at a young age, which like was juxtaposing other things happening and the discipline of it, just the expression of it. So it's something I honestly have always done. I went to all the performing arts high schools. I got my BFA in dance and then I moved to LA to do commercial freelance dancing with an agent. I wanted to do like what all the older girls in the studio did that I was like, that's what I'm going to do. So I did that. Choreography was always calling to me though. Even back in high school, I would remember getting like a lot more excitement over the choreography concerts versus like the other, you know, the teacher concerts. I was like, I want to make it. So I started, I did this movie, Rock of Ages. And yeah, the location for filming was in Florida, not in LA. And I hadn't been back to Miami in about 10 years. And it had changed a lot. 
a lot. A lot of my friends from this high school I went to, this performing arts high school, this um, like some painter friends and musician friends, film friends, people were moving back here. And it did. It felt really, Miami felt different. And I, I, so I decided to stay to start exploring choreography more than freelance dance in that sense. So I started my own company. It's like an all-fem dance, performance, contemporary dance company, Alma Dance Theater. And I started that in 2015 and have been doing that ever since. Just like so immersed in the world of dance I've done. I've directed screen dance festivals, uh, dot dance, you know, dance, dance, dance. So how does dancing lead to writing a book? Trauma. Trauma. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. yeah. I read the book, Amigas, and yes. There's a lot of, but, you know, I feel like I said this to my friend the other day and I mean this, I was like, I needed the universe to break both my knees to sit me down and write. Now I have always been a writer. I always kept a journal. I would write short stories, poems up until high school. I really got into entering like writing contests and this like super bad bully. I always think I stopped writing. I, I think I stopped sharing it for a long time because these girls in high school, they kind of like ganged up on me. And they one day I had this journal and it was like a, a big deal. And I came off the elevators of like where my high school was. And they had taken my journal and taken out the pages and put it all like on the walls of like the main hallway. <laughs> it was terrible. It's so, so outlandish to put your vulnerability in front of everybody without your permission. That definitely impacted me. And I never shared writing for a very long time for till now. And so in 2019, 2020, December, 2019, while performing my right meniscus tour from going from standing to uh, like just standing up, it just snapped. And I mean, I've been dancing since I'm three, very intensely, like, like an athlete. I like, gave myself no days off, seven days, training, performing, and that's it. So it was like sort of like wear and tear over time. And one day it just went. And that put me in crutches for five months, that surgery. I had never been humbled like that physically. Two weeks later, while I was in these, like right after the surgery, though, that was December 2019. Then on January 1st. 2020, my best friend, she killed herself. And then two months after that, COVID came. And on top of me not being able to understand how I could dance and choreograph, like the world shut down, right? So like everybody's industry shut down. There was nothing happening. And I don't do well sitting still mentally or physically. (laughs) And things got really dark, you know, like to like sum it up, things got really dark. A friend really helped me get into therapy. And while in therapy, like intense trauma therapy, EMDR specifically for a year and a half. And while I was doing that, I started to write. And I did find this sense of fearlessness because like all my worst nightmares were coming true one after the other. So I remember like I just kind of carelessly shared it with somebody who suggested I might sit with an editor and consider this to actually share it with somebody else. And I pretty much said, fuck it. And like, (laughs) let's see what happens. And here we are, you know, and funny enough, like even like through this process of writing, it was like, again, sometimes I'm like, what is the world trying to say to me? Because I was like, well, I'm still going to do some dancing. Like I made a show again. I did like, I went back to what I normally do. And then my left knee went same way while performing, just standing up. It just popped. 
you know? And I was like, oh, it felt just like the right one. <laughs> but it like, it was so weird because I was still holding back on putting the book out. It was done. It was like, like right on the edge of being out. And it was very scary, you know? And I think I was also like keeping myself busy. Like I got to wait, I got to show, I got to wait, I got to show. And I don't know. I just like, I found myself back in the same place three years later. And that was when I like pulled the trigger on like, let's put it out then. And kind of like leaning into it being more about myself and for like, what could this be for other people? Well, let's dive into this because it is beautifully written. And I want to say that really at the beginning of this book, it really, it perplexed me because I'm like, why, why do we have a warning? And the warning, amigas, is Rebel and Venus contains scenes, details, and situations that trigger PTSD and emotional trauma. Scenes of sex, drugs, abuse, rape, and suicide may cause discomfort to some readers. Please consider your own sensitivity beforehand. And, you know, when I read this, I do have to tell you that I was like, whoa, whoa, because then that put me on check on based Mm. on my own traumas. And so as I was reading this book, I was like, I couldn't help but to really be honest about the things that have happened. And some people say to us, but I say for us on these encounters of abuse. And so I really want us to start discussing about these triggers. I want to talk about the abuse, the challenges of handling, navigating your life, having been a victim of violence, a victim of sexual abuse, a victim of all these things of domestic violence. I talk about these things all the time, but but to put it in a book in, in a way that can help us understand ourselves it requires a certain level of skill and you are a dancer and you know this is your first book and i'm like wow to write this book is to know and live these things so i want to be able to talk about certain situations in the book where i found that they are true because i'm like this cannot be just you know, off the top of somebody's head, this actually might have happened. So I want to find out from you is uh, one of the characters, Leila, who's the main, the protagonist in this book. Is she you? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Two, three, four thousand percent. Yes. (laughs) Yes. There's variations, of course, creative liberties and such. But yeah, it's interesting because I was like, do I put this out as a memoir? Do I put this out as a novel? And for a lot of, it was more about creative freedom. And I think just as a born and active artist for so long now, that's always important to me. And I didn't, I don't have this background in writing. So I also felt very free to do it however I wanted to do it. I had like nobody in my head telling me what was right or wrong. And I did, I wanted some... I think it's okay to say this too. I, I'm like telling myself it's okay. <laughs> yes, yes, I wanted yes. to also protect myself in my own ways because I'm still at a point where there are like, there's certain things in my life that I'm still working 
through myself. There's things that, that do go deeper. I imagine it would inform me for, for future projects. But yes, yes. I mean, yes, it is. Layla is absolutely a mirror of me, 100%. And Maria, her best friend, is a carbon copy of almost exactly like somebody very much as well. Yes. Wow. In my life, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that these two characters, Layla and Maria, I think uh, we as Latinas can really, really find likeness in it. Mm. And amigas, you will need to read this book because it is fascinating and so revealing. And, you know, I in the book, you talk about shame and at a very young age. And so one of the things that I always feel and believe in is like, how can we stop the the sexual abuse of minors? And Mm -hmm. in your, in your book, you know, you really describe in detail certain situations of abuse of minors. And I want to hear from you. What have you discovered in writing this part about you and how you get to help other kids out there? I think what I'm grateful for is that we're in a place now where we are having these conversations, which when I was growing up, when you were growing up, it just, we don't, there wasn't a language for it, you know, and things sometimes, right, do happen to kids. We're not always watching the children 24 seven. And things happen to us when we're kids. And if they're that confusing enough, you probably don't even say anything. And it was for me to be fully transparent to the way I finally, 38 years, you know, shared what happened with me as a child was by like asking my parents to read this book. That was the only way I knew how to like do it. I think that it happens more often than I think we want to admit that it happens. And that's the thing. And it usually does happen close to home. And there are benign, there's like these benign experiences, which the book really starts off with one. And I'm just going to say, you know, like just being flashed, you know, just like little girl walking down the street and a man doing this thing. And like, nobody's there to explain it to you. And you're like, I don't understand what just happened. It's a lot. Oh yeah. (laughs) Um, No, believe me. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. And, and then the more extreme ones that I go into and it's realizing how much shame I lived with and my relationship to sex as well and my own body, my self-worth, just so, so many things, right? And the funny thing is not funny. It's like interesting that when I started to, I was like my little, like my closest friends in my family, I was like, here, read this, you know? And while I was writing the book and a couple of my very closest friends, you know, it was like that happened to this, like it happened to them too. And it was funny because we're like finally seeing each other differently. And we're like, there's so many similar characteristics and even adult responses that we all like kind of carry in the same way now. And so to me, it's where the conversation can happen. And so with kids, with kids who don't have the language, who don't have access to these words and this sense of communication. And as children, we do, we want to please, right? The the thing that's taking care of us or the ones we look up to. It's just like a natural thing that happens. So I feel like how we have to keep creating and exploring ways to communicate with our children and deepen our relationship with them 
and learn them because also, right. I feel like it's, and I don't have kids, but I feel like it's not a one. It's not like a book. Here's how they're all going to respond. You know, how are you really getting to know your child? What are their, the tells and that they, because if we're scared to talk about it, they're going to feel that. And so they're not going to talk about it either. Right. You know? Yes, exactly. As you were talking about the first, just the, it just seems kind of like what the heck is going on when that, that person exposed, right? And that re- made me recall of an event that happened as a little girl. And I was like, shit, she's kind of talking about something that happened to her that also happened to me. You know, yeah. I remember also, you know, I'm just playing with my little friend and this man in a van shows something that looked like a penis. And I could never shake that off. Only she and I will remember that. And we did mm-hmm. not say anything to anybody because we had no idea what the heck is going on. And so mm-hmm. it's so important for us to write these books, like your book, to really elaborate on how it's something so, so just like in a kind of like a flash could have an yeah. impact on your life. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And that's the thing, like the book, you know, how you said like the podcast, you want us to feel like we're having like a girl's night, like a conversation. And that's, I think like the other like thing that's so poignant through the book, you know, it's, it's Maria and Layla smoking a joint, talking about these things. And it's, it, it's like literally to say like, <laughs> you're a personal me too moment, yeah. but it is so validating in the right in like a way that's healthy because there's like healthy validation when something that you've held on to this memory that's again so confusing it's branded on your brain and I mean you grow up and it's like it just makes me giggle because I'm like of course we have a culture of dick pics being slid into dms here and there because you know that's just what happens you know like you just get a dick in your face you know (laughs) and just call it a day and the mindset behind that is almost like it's wild. But to me, if you go deep, it's almost like, well, I think I, what did I do to deserve this? Right. And again, that's a benign experience, but like, is it because I was standing here? Is it because I was wearing this? Is it because what did I do? It must've been something I did. Yes. Oh my God, girl. This is so, so telling because immediately as a little kid, you're not thinking you're defenseless because that's not part of your vernacular. You, you just don't know what's going on. And mm-hmm. so you start blaming yourself for what adults are doing to you. And then when you mm-hmm. want to tell somebody, you just believe that you're not believable. A hundred percent. Completely. It's such a weird defense mechanism. You understand it. That's where like, it was like, as a dancer, this is so funny. Cause I'm like, oh my God, I've been like in my body, but not until I'm doing this, like, trauma therapy, EMDR, that really has you saying, I feel this in my body. This is what I feel. I've been so good at disassociating, even as a professional, highly trained dancer could master physical disassociation. Yeah. Like so easily. And so at the same time that, that moment when you're a kid, it's like, every time you smell the smell, you see something that jars a memory, right? It's like you're, then you're constantly on this like hyper, hyper vigilance. Your, your nervous system is triggered, you know? So it's like, you're reliving these things over and over again. It's hard to unravel at the same time. It's like, it is so, 
liberating to also realize again, like I didn't do anything and my body's just been trying to protect me. Like that's what all this anxiety is. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, it's, a, it's a exactly that your body's trying to protect you. And then you realize, oh my God, this shit is, what the fuck? Like when you become an adult, then you understand like, what the fuck happened? This is like undoubtedly the most heinous thing for a kid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Truly. Mm-hmm. And you live with that cross mm-hmm. right? until you break it. And I feel, you know, as you were saying that you're Layla, that you are breaking that cross through this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and continuing to, for me, I don't know, I know, and I only speak for myself, but I definitely was not willing to deal with any of this until I had to, I had to lose everything. I think I, I don't know. I don't know what it was about me, but I had to lose everything and then almost lose myself to myself and sort of make a decision. And I mean, because it is heavy, especially when you don't know what it is that you're feeling all the time. Like, why do I feel like this? And I think a lot of girls feel like that, even without these intense traumatic experiences, just walking around as a girl can be very exhausting, very exhausting. So for me, it became, I had to make a choice to figure out how to get this literal like weight off my shoulders because I was starting to feel like my friends. Like, if this is what living feels like, like I can't pretend anymore. It hurts too much all the time, you know, and everything somehow is always my fault. And I feel like a burden and like, what am I doing here? Right. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I completely, completely understand what you're saying. And as you're growing up, you finally, okay, so now you're an adult. And then in your book, I want to come back to this. You have a chapter called Lessons from the Club. And you talk about three things. You talk about confidence, self-love, and boundaries. And I really want I'm invested by to get this book because there is some, I mean, there's so much, so much detail within those lessons. But I really want to talk about boundaries because this also has to play into the fact that you did not have a boundary as a kid because how do you even fucking know what a boundary is? Yeah. Literally. Yeah. So that's another thing that keeps on copying it replicates throughout your entire life. So let's talk about Mm -hmm. that. Let's talk about Mm -hmm. the boundaries when you were working at this club. Yeah. And everybody talks, you know, at the club, it's just like you talk and there's little room for dishonesty. You're already naked, changing tampons in front of each other. Like you're talking very candidly. And it was mind blowing to me how I would witness and hear these other women owning themselves in this, you know, very bizarre working in a strip club is so bizarre. <laughs> Navigating it, it is spectacularly interesting, but it requires somebody to have those three things, which is confidence, self-worth and boundaries, or you will be taken for a ride. What was so interesting is it mirrors, it will mirror you who you are in the club or out of the club. And I think that that's true for all women as well, whether you're a sex worker or not. But it was very extreme for me because I didn't work in a club where, so I'm in Miami, right? Like when I was doing this and Miami is known for having little boundaries in the strip club, but there are a few 
that are really strict on no sex, no nothing. Even when you have to, when you give a lap dance in the back, you have to keep your underwear on. There's cameras, security guards. So I, I picked that club specifically feeling safe, but customers will have a hard time of often humanizing you. And it's interesting because they're often people who try to cross those lines, you know, and it's really like you're giving a lap dance and their hands on your hips, let's say on your butt. And like two seconds later, their fingers are trying to like in every which way slip like through your panties. And I remember at first I would try like navigate it, but sometimes they would just get like so aggressive. And my physical response, not just at the club, but like in personal time is to freeze and like submit and not in like some cute, fun, sexy, kinky way. Like it's again, that's just so, like just full detachment, you know, like I'm just do whatever you want. I'm here. And I, oh my God, the performing part of me is like a double-edged sword. Cause I was like, and I can perform for you, like whatever you want. It was such a weird experience and very outer body. And I would see, you know, you'd be sometimes giving a dance next to somebody else and you would see them slap hands away, respond in very different ways. And it wasn't, it wasn't about the money, you know, cause money comes and goes. It wasn't like, I'm going to do it to take the money. It was, I literally just couldn't stop somebody. And it was wild to me because I realized, I remember like one day I realized how unsafe I was and it wasn't the first time. You know, because again, like the disassociation was so strong, but one day, like something like clicked and I was like, even though I had worked at this club for a few years, I was like in a strange place with a strange person. Nobody was there to protect me. It shook me and nobody put me there in that situation, but myself, like I could have pushed the button too. I could have done the signal to the camera. Like I could have done all the things and that's, I scared myself. And that's when I stopped working there. Because I couldn't protect myself at all. Oof, that's deep. I scared myself. I think that really can resonate with many amigas out there. You know, because Mm -hmm. if you're scared, how the heck are you going to protect anybody, much less yourself? And I think the trauma with children, and I guess like, because... I don't know. You know, I'm not, I'm not a licensed therapist, so I don't know what the studies are, but I have noticed there's something about that childhood response, right? The fight or flight thing. And I mean, you're, you're this small and the person is this large. So you'd sort of, you just sort of learn to like shut down and you embody that over and over again. It becomes stronger and stronger. It feels like becoming a puppet. You know, it's like somebody literally is like holding my throat and I'm, I can't move if I want to, I can't run. It's like those dreams where your legs are stuck. Right. And it's because you're, you know, from what I've understood in therapy, it's like this defense mechanism that was trying to keep you alive. The best thing that you could do at that moment, back when you were a child, was to like literally play dead. Yeah. Just let it pass, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. and just stay still. Mm-hmm. And I was so jealous of my friends, you know, like the girls I worked with. I was like, my God, they're so strong and like boss bitches. Like, I want to be like that, you know, and I, I felt like an imposter. Because I yeah. carried myself that way. Mm-hmm. But when it came to it, I was just shut, shut okay. down. Shut down. Wow. Yes. I mean, I, and I'm sure there's a lot of amigas out there that had to shut that part of their lives down in order mm-hmm. to survive. I have some amigas and experts in my, in my team. She taught in my course, the Amiga way 
about the concept of ACEs, which is a, a study that has shown that the amount of traumas that you experience will continue to perpetuate as an adult. And it's really mm-hmm. fascinating stuff. And as you're talking about this stuff, it really makes me like, how often do we have these experiences in our life? Which I can honestly say very often, very yeah. often. And we don't get to uncover and unravel them until we actually stop. As you said, you stopped, you froze, you're done. You're done with the dancing at the club. And now you're taking care of yourself. Look, going through EMDR, doing all the therapy. And it's so important in order for us to really heal that part, that trauma, because we need support. Literally, we need support. So what's your advice for amigas out there who are going through these traumas, through through these horrible events in their life? You know, how can amiga handle her shit when these things are happening? What's your hmm. It's so hard to get past that shame, right? Mm-hmm. And so don't shame yourself for shaming yourself, number one. And that sounds like a conundrum, but it's okay. It's normal. Everybody does it. And so I really believe in good friends. I think the number one thing we can do, especially in this country where we don't have access to certain luxuries like mental health care, if you have access to a licensed therapist, get in there. And one that specializes in trauma. You know, somebody once told me, when I was in a better state to go shopping for a therapist, like you're shopping for shoes, you know, try it on. Cause you got to find your fit, but trauma is, is specific and it's layered for me. And there's different trauma treatments for me. EMDR ended up being the one that really worked. And I did it for a an year and a half, which is a pretty long time to do that treatment. But I did have complex PTSD. I had again, like these, this narrative of trauma through my whole life. And the thing is, is that's so normal. That's heartbreaking to say. But what I just said and what I've been through is actually not very uncommon. But the shame keeps us from talking about it. And that's why I go back to the good friend. And that shifted everything for me. I didn't do it soon enough with the friend that I lost. But losing somebody that way and not saying the thing I wanted to say in the end, all that guilt, I like the vulnerability. I just was so vulnerable after that. I was scared. And having a friend that you can really say these things to that don't make sense, right? That feel very scary. And it's not easy. And that's what it's like. I also was letting go of a lot of friends at this time because oftentimes when you're in that state, you're con, you kind of, like trauma bonding, right? Is not, I learned this in therapy. It's not like, oh, we experienced the same trauma together and now we can share that. That's like actually like a healthy bond. It's more that you go through something traumatic and your nervous system hasn't, you haven't healed it. So your nervous system keeps seeking out this experience, this bond through a person or through an experience. So you're trauma bonding to people that keep you in this state of trauma that you're so used to. And it's actually your body trying to tell you to like, please heal me. And that's a really, when you really finally go into that healing this, you do start to shift overall, like literally standing into your powers 
is wild and it takes it, like it takes so time like so much time to unlearn things and relearn so it's like if you don't have a friend or two that you can be vulnerable with and don't know how to feel safe with each other i think it's really important to learn to let maybe those go and find those friendships that that really do like you're filling each other's cup and you don't you shouldn't feel shame about these things and truly like girls like i hate this statistic but i don't think there's a girl in the room who hasn't been through it through something of it which is very you know sad. it is really sad it is but I feel like the, that we have to be each other's first ally. We have to be the ones that that talk about it first, at least, so so we can develop this language that our world doesn't have. Just society constantly is telling girls and women to act still, you know, a certain way and talk a certain way, and we haven't really, you know, it's not that changed. So I think the big thing, like that, number one is friendship. So somebody to like understand what you're going through and you don't have to have the same experiences we can sit at the same table right absolutely yeah. I think personally I am 49 years old and I feel like it's a lot better today than it was when I was a, a young girl because we didn't have any access to anything there was no internet nothing but for me I always feel that in order for this to change we have to focus on men and boys and mm -hmm. raise boys to be honorable and respectful. Yeah. It, the conversation that we have with male figures and boys is, 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 is like, that's where like allyship, right. And understanding of each other. When I had the book release, I did this live reading and there was a man there who was, seemed to be maybe in his fifties or something. And I did the reading. I actually wrote, I read at that particular event, Lessons from the Club. That's the chapter I read. And I didn't, he comes up to me and he was like, I just want to say thank you. And I just bought your book on Amazon for my daughter. And I was like, whoa, like I wasn't ready for that. That really caught me off guard. I was not prepared for a father to listen to me read about working in a strip club and talk about this book in particular and like choose to buy it for his daughter. That's huge. A girl wrote me also that she read some of the chapter, like she read a chapter out loud to her husband that she had been trying to like tell him something for years. She just like had a hard time. So like, and then had him read the rest of the book. And I was like, <sighs> I think that it's not that, oh, my book is the, the, the answer, but it's the, it's the conversations, right? That come from that book or just from, sometimes it's like, if you have a guy friend or you have a brother or you have, what men do you have in your life? And are you talking to them about this? And if you aren't, why aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Because it's not fair to not engage with each other because we're not in each other's heads. We're living two different experiences. My best friend is a straight black man, you know, and I'm a mixed Latin queer woman. So we have two very lived, two different lived experiences. And we've been best friends for 20 years by communication. You know, like you have to talk about it, even the things that are uncomfortable. Because then otherwise, yes, we're going to do generations more decades from now, girls are still going to be living in rape culture. And that's not fair. It's not fair. So for the moms out there that have boys, Let's really 
teach them to honor yeah. from the get go mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. to shame them. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, because honestly, I feel like none of that shit would happen but for the fact that we have these men that are either pedophiles that are living amongst us or are just freaking creepos out there who are living amongst us. Yeah. Yeah. Because again, like our mass media culture still isn't teaching men to behave a certain way. It does. It also feels so nuanced and complicated at the same time, but it's not easy and nothing is. And because it's, you know, we should not not do it because it's not easy, you know, (laughs) it's not easy. That's when you should be doing it. (laughs) Exactly. I keep saying like, oh, I just had this dream where there's like, you know, some teenage girl is in her like tiny shorts and rollerblading and her headphones. And she lives in a world that she's like so relaxed and knows that she's safe. And if something were to happen to her, she knows like the world will believe her. Yes. And just that belief in itself is also a very heavy thing to walk around with. So many of us don't report these things because we know we're not assuming wrong, but we know that the system is not on our side. It's the most terrifying thing to talk to a male police officer after you've been assaulted. It's very difficult. And there's still not a language around that for how to handle rape victims differently. It's, we have, right, we can't like really say, it's easy to blame the system. We could blame the country, we can blame everybody, you know? So like, what are we doing at home with our friends, with those people we see at work, you know, that we encounter? What are we really talking about? And like, what changes are we really making for like, not just little girls, but yeah, no, especially little girls, because historically it is a fucked up world to live in as a little girl. It's exhausting. At a very young age, you know, you are very aware that it is different for you than the boy. Let's live in a world when there's no differences. That's yeah. what I love to uncover <laughs> in mm-hmm. my lifetime. Yes. In my lifetime and in your lifetime, obviously. Oh my goodness, my beautiful soul. Man, you're amazing. Marissa, is there anything else you'd love to share on this podcast before we finish here? I think just the friends thing, you know, I, again, I wrote this book thinking of my friend and myself. Like I kept saying, I wanted people like me to see themselves as a hero, not a burden. Cause there is a trigger warning. But if you get to the end, (laughs) you'll feel like you found a friend, you know? It's important that there are heroes like us out there, not trying to be anything other than what they are. And so I think like, I just want to like say that. (laughs) Not all of us are deeply flawed. Yeah. And it's beautiful (laughs) to be flawed. It is. It is. Yeah. Instead of shame. Thank you so much. Let's embrace it. it. Yeah. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much, Marissa, for being here. And we definitely put your book on our show notes so that people can come and grab that link and participate. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here on Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye, Amigas. Bye. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. If anything resonates with you today, Please share it with your friends and subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. Don't forget to share it on Instagram, Facebook, and other social media platforms. 
If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at www.amigahandleyourshit.com. Thank you so much for listening. Gracias y hasta la próxima.